As I stand here in the woods, looking up at the clear sky, my mind wanders. I start to think about the vastness of space, the discoveries waiting for us, and the wisdom that has been long lost. I think of the energies that surround us, and how some of those energies can carry messages from here out to distant space, and maybe one day from distant space to here, or at least from distant Isla to me, like the recent email I have had from Mark Rainier from Brookladdy Distillery. The email was news of a new distillation at Brookladdy, this time the world's first ever biodynamic whisky. This is uber organic. This is a whisky made from barley entirely sown, grown and harvested according to the biodynamic principles of Dr. Rudolf Steiner and encompassing the principles of holistic agriculture. This is not a product of industrial pesticides, but is a product of natural methods, nettle insecticides, cowhorn fertilizers, and astral calendars. Something that may sound wacky, but is already the practice for eight out of ten of the world's best winemakers. These are principles I have come across before in gardening, but do they work in whiskey making? Now, I'm going to be looking into this, and I will respond in a later episode to that. In the meantime, on to this week's episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. If anybody wants to contact me, you can do so by email at jim at themaltedmuse.com or by visiting the website themaltedmuse.com where there's more information, some links and a contact form. Now this has been a very strange week for me, lots of things going on, but one of the good things that have been going on was going to a tasting event organised by Adrian Murray and his wife from the Weedram Whiskey Shop in Bakewell. The event took place in Baslow in the Peak District in Derbyshire and it was a tasting of Cooley's whiskies. and there to take us through those whiskies was Michael Morris from Cooley's Distillery. And I have to say, it was a really good evening. And we tasted some Kilbegan, some Tyrconnell, some Lox, some Green Ore, some Connemara and some Connemara Turf Moor. Now what I have done, with their permission, is I recorded the session. And this episode is simply going to be some of the highlights from that evening. Followed by a quick chat that I had with Michael after the event. So... Not much of my voice this week, I'm afraid. I'm sure some of you will be pleased about that. But um, do enjoy listening to it. And so I'm going to leave you in Michael's capable hands here. And I'll say goodbye now. And thank you for downloading this episode. Our, um, we drank whiskey festival um, um, in October last year, 
Uh, oh, by the way, 22nd of October this year, tickets are now available. Um, where, where me and Michael had a very long, long chat there. Um, I said, hi Michael, your table's over there, thanks for coming. And then later on I said, oh Michael, your taxi's here. Um, Alison, Alison had a more in-depth discussion. She said, um, tea or coffee, if you want milk and sugar with that. Um, that's about it. Um, the other story I was going to tell you about, about Cooley, actually, um, about, I think it was three years ago now, I went to Whiskey Live with um, Andy, and I don't know if you all know Andy, who, who works for us, um, Alison's dad, Trevor, um, my friend, um, Alan Alan Topless, who's not here, um, I think that was all in the party. I've got a feeling there was somebody else hanging around with us. But uh, anyway, we're going round round um, so whiskey live. It could have been anybody. And <laughs> anyone who's been there, there's there's one or two whiskies around. And every time we tried a different whiskey, we're all going. We had some somebody would like it, but somebody else wouldn't like it. And there was only one whiskey that we all agreed that was a nice whiskey, and it was this one, Kilbegan. Surprisingly, not surprisingly. Not sure what's in the envelope. Anyway, Michael refuses to tell me anything more about, uh, about himself because uh, he's going to do it all and, and he's come all this way for us. He um, uh, was in Belfast about an hour and a half ago. And, um, yeah. So I'm going to hand, him ha hand you over to him. Thank you very much. I was in Dublin, 7 o'clock this morning, Belfast, 4 o'clock this afternoon, and here I am. What we do for our customers and our consumers. I've also, so some rules to begin with. I've been um, told to say that, um, I, well, in fact, I've been made the promise that uh, I'll not mention Cheltenham, I'm not going to mention the rugby, I'm not going to mention the cricket, and if nobody, if nobody mentions the state of the Irish economy, I won't mention any of those things. Okay, so the rule is we're going to talk about whiskey. Um, Yes, I'm Michael Morris. I am the uh, commercial director of Cooley, and we are Ireland's only um, Irish-owned independent distillery. Um, can I just quickly ask around the room, just on a show of hands, are people very familiar with Irish whiskey and Irish distilleries? No. Yeah. yeah. We've got a couple of nods here. Worthwhile, probably, just to give you, a, a, before we go tasting the whiskey, give you a quick bit of background on Irish whiskey and its relationship with scotch and bourbon and things, um, and then where can you sit within that? So if, if, if it's in agreement, we'll have a quick, very short history lesson, um, and then we'll get straight to um, tasting the whiskies. As I say, I run both the commercial side of the business, so I deal with all of our customer base. We, we uh, export to 40 countries. Uh, we're in triple-digit growth again for this year, so things are going very well. And the reason why they're going very well is because of the quality of the uh, whiskey that we sell there. And I'm hoping at the end of this session we'll all be in uh, general agreement, otherwise I'm going to talk about the rugby. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, first of all, the Irish whiskey um, history lesson. Irish whiskey is, uh, was, until very recently, a, a very, very tragic event. Irish whiskey, at the start of the last century, was outselling Scott whis whiskey worldwide 100 to 1. I mean, it was, I, by a mile, the biggest um, uh, category of whiskey in the world. If you take the situation today, Scotch whiskey is well in excess of 100 million cases, and all Irish whiskey brands put together is 6 million cases. Okay, so that is the difference. It's absolutely vast. 
Now, why did that happen? We, how did we manage to totally mismanage the fact in the last century that that happened? Well, we, we ran into, the Irish whiskey distillers ran into a perfect storm. Three things happened in the, in the 1920s which basically decimated the Irish whiskey industry. The first thing that happened was that the biggest whiskey market in the world for Irish whiskey then and now was America. And uh, something like 95% of all whiskey brands in the States before Prohibition were American, or sorry, were Irish whiskies. And Prohibition, of course, meant that once uh, the route, that route to market, once the ships were turned away, the John Jemisons, John Powers, that was the biggest selling uh, single malt in America, the Turkhamel, they literally had to turn that, those ships around, and in fact, anything that was caught in the uh, American ports was poured straight into the sea. So not, not very good for any fish that were around, but... Um, that's what happened. The prohibition instantly and overnight closed the biggest uh, market in the world for Irish whiskies. In our distillery at uh, Cooley, we have a picture of the famous uh, baseball player Babe Ruth, who went from the Boston Red Sox to play for the Yankees. And in his first season, oh, at the very famous photograph of his first home run, over his shoulder in the background is an old Coca-Cola sign, and over the other shoulder is the Turconnell horse, the Turconnell single malt. And yet within five years, that whiskey distillery, which was based in the Andrew Watts distillery in Derry, after five years, that distillery was closed. So if, in a sense, you can see just the massive and dramatic impact that Prohibition had. Just before I go to the second terrible thing that happened, the, the add-on for Prohibition was, of course, that all of the terrible um, gut rot, speakeasy-style whiskies, brown spirit that came down out of Canada during Prohibition, and to give it some kind of authenticity, all the, the kind of the barons involved in the, in the bootleg industry, people like Al Capone, John uh, Kennedy's father, Joe, uh, God bless him, he was also involved in it. They brought all this terrible stuff down. And of course, what did they do to give it a bit of um, provenance and authenticity? They gave it Irish names, but they gave them made-up names like Delargies and Delaney's and things like that, names that actually did not exist as Irish whiskey distilleries. And that actually meant that when Prohibition finished at the end of the 20s, Americans knew Irish whiskey to be something they had to be aware, uh, very wary of. So when the real brands came back, Americans wouldn't drink them. They had moved on to scotch. And because scotch, by and large, had avoided the terrible uh, situation during Prohibition, effectively what happened was scotch whiskey filled the void, and Irish whiskey never got back in that market. If that wasn't bad enough, uh, second part of the perfect storm, of course, was 1920 to 22 was the Irish Civil War. Uh, Ireland was became an independent comp company, or company, country. It's good stuff, I tell you. But effectively, what happened was, um, as a result of that, um, the British uh, government put an embargo on the sale of Irish whiskey in the British Empire. So, if you think about it, at the same time that the American market was closed to Irish whiskey brands. The British government stopped the export of Irish whiskey to the British Empire, and it was the second biggest market for Irish whiskey in the world. So the Indian market, the Australian, New Zealand, Britain itself, this all stopped. So if you imagine that happened at exactly the same time. And then the third element of the perfect storm in the 1920s, by and large, was the, the clergy got involved, and they started to blame all of the ills of the poor on poor old Irish whiskey. And, of course, what happened then was the, the pioneer movement on the Catholic side kicked in in the rural community in the Republic of Ireland. And people, one-third of the adult population stopped drinking whiskey. Probably around a third started making potching very, uh, very rapidly. <laughs> but that was absolutely no use to us on the distilling side. And those three things basically decimated 
um, Irish whiskey sales. It was a terrible, 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 tragic thing. Um, the good news, however, and, and I know there's no tears in the room, I know, uh, <laughs> I, I, but at least unlike some other place I've been to, God bless, served you right, type thing. Um, but if, in effect, the, this is the second, we're now in the second renaissance of Irish whiskey. When I said that figure of six million cases, six million cases represents a doubling of Irish whiskey sales in the last um, five years. And the reason being that the two biggest drinks companies in the world now own the two big brands. So Diageo, biggest drinks company in the world, now own the, the Bushmills Distillery, and they own the um, Bushmills Range. And of course, Jemison, which is the sec which is the biggest brand, but it's owned by the Pernod Company. They're the second biggest drinks company in the world, the French. So effectively, those two major, uh, two biggest drinks companies in the world are now starting to build worldwide distribution again for Irish whiskey. And where Bushmills and Jemison go, we follow. Ireland's only independent distillery. So what we're so that that is that is a quick history lesson, and effectively what that means is that Irish whiskey now, if you talk to any of the uh, the economists Irish, in whiskey and spirit terms, Irish whiskey's now the fastest growing uh, spirit category uh, across all spirit categories. Twenty five percent growth um, in the states forecast for the next two years. Fifteen percent growth here in GB. Uh, twenty percent growth in the European markets. Absolutely massive. And the main reason it's driving that, yes, the big companies are now starting to put money and all that. But what we're gonna what we're gonna determine here today through the tasting, the big thing that is really making a massive difference from Irish whiskey is that Irish whiskey, generally speaking, and these are brilliant examples of them, are very smooth and very easy to drink. So they're very smooth, very gentle, like the Irish themselves, I, I would say. Sure <laughs> again, some people would disagree. But yes, but that light, easy style of um, whiskey consumption is something that's bringing people into the category, and certainly in very important like markets like America, for instance, in the States on the East Coast, uh, young men, particularly 25 to 35, are coming into the whiskey category in a huge way. Excuse me. They're not drinking vodka anymore. That's, that's generating a huge amount of interest in the category, and the brand that they're drinking is Jemison. And because, of course, once you start drinking Jemison, which is a very light style of whiskey, then potentially you move into some of these other uh, products. Okay, history lesson over. I can see you nodding and nodding away. Anyway, without further ado, and and on your on your tasting mat, this is very very well organised here. I couldn't be more impressed. We've got a, a one to six um, a one to six tasting, and what we're going to do here, just again to give you the uh, the oldest licensed distillery in the world. Okay, this is now very proudly put onto our bottle, very proudly put onto our um, advertising, and you're going to hear a lot more about this. Up until this year, the oldest licensed distillery in the world was actually agreed by everybody, Scotch, bourbon, Japanese whiskey makers, to being Bushmills, because the date in Bushmills is 1608. But if you're ever in the who wants to be a millionaire and you get the million dollar question, <laughs> don't say Bushmills, say Kildegan. Because what's now happened is, Diageo have agreed that 1608, which is the Bushmills uh, 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 trademark, is actually a license was distilled to the Bushmills area in 1608 to make whiskey. But they didn't build a physical distillery there for another 175 years. And in the meantime, John Locke had opened the distillery down in Kilbegan. Thank God. So 1757 is actually now the registered mark for the oldest licensed distillery in the world. And, I, and I, again, I want to reiterate that. That is an Irish whiskey distillery. That is whiskey distillery. That's, that's, you know, any Scottish people in the room? 
Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, then we get into the whole debate about they were first and they weren't. We were, 1757. Okay? So, uh, without further ado, then, we go to this absolutely oh, superb... Oh, sorry. Thank you. There's 175 years with Bushmills waiting for the builders. Yeah, <laughs> waiting, 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 waiting for the builders to come from Scotland and they never did. Okay, so... Kilbegan. So what we've got here, uh, again, because I know most people have been to these before, we all understand the, the basis of a blend. So this is a blended Irish whiskey. Now, when, you, when you're um, sipping a blended whiskey, and it's, it's absolutely like a, I suppose, a wine tasting in a sense, the quality of the blend will normally be very dependent on the, the mix of the malt, malted barley and grain that's in this glass of whiskey. Now, what you've got here is a top-end blend because the malt content in this whiskey would be 22%. Now, that's extremely high. So if you, for instance, take that cheap bottle of whiskey that I know nobody in the room would buy, but you might occasionally know somebody who would go into a supermarket and buy, for instance, let's say a cheap bottle of, let's, let's call it what it is, scotch at 10.99, you might get malt in a very, very cheap blend. You might get the malt content down at 3 4%, very, very, very low, which basically means that that whiskey is delivering nothing more than an alcoholic um, hit. Whereas with this, this is much more, although the alcohol's there, it's 40% ABV, this is much more about being a beautiful sipping whiskey. It's matured, just two things before we go to the nose, this is matured in oak barrels, so one of the, one of the um, American oaks, so one of the characteristics on the nose, let's go for the nose, that what you're looking to try and pick up here, on the nose, because we use top quality American oak, on the nose, you can get a soft sweetness. That, that's really coming from the wood. And without further ado, and after all that talk, we now have a sip. Wonderful thing about this whiskey, of course, is there's no huge alcoholic burn in the front of your mouth. And, and that's, that's a sign of quality, because if, you're, if, if you get, if it's not a cask whiskey, if it's only 40%, and you're getting burnt in the front of your mouth, you know, that, that's nearly always not a good sign, okay? So what you've got here is you've got a beautiful blend of 20-odd percent malted barley, dried barley, and then the rest of it is top-quality grain. It's blended together to make what in Ireland's called, this would be called a Dublin-style Dublin sipping whiskey. So just again, for good, good order, a blended whiskey like this is not something normally that you would want to be putting water into. We're going to come to some stuff that you would do that with. Um, it's not something that you would put. Why? Why? Why would you? Why is a as a question out there to the audience? Why would you normally not be putting ice into a blended whiskey? Why would you not put ice into it? What? Sorry. You don't know the volatiles of you freezing it in. Absolutely, man got it right, and that's the first gold star of the day. Well done, sir. <laughs> Can I take one of those? <laughs> <laughs> Twenty pound, yes. Pound, sure. Yes, uh, back. Irish pound. Uh, no, no, no. Good sterling. I'm from Belfast. <laughs> so what you've got, what you've got there is the, the right answer. In a sense, ice. Back to our American friends in um, Prohibition. Ice only does one thing, and it, it basically kills flavour. If you put, if you imagine, back to that stuff that was coming down out of Canada. If you put ice into anything, it kills flavour. It means that you can drink it, and only afterwards you get whatever the taste uh, profile is. So effectively, you're able without ice, you're able to get to the flavours, you're able to get to the taste, 
And what you're able to get is get past the alcohol. And in a, in a good quality blended whiskey like that, which is top drawer, you, you certainly do not need the help of ice or water or anything like that. Having said all that, of course, if, if people prefer to do that, there's absolutely, the beautiful thing about whiskey like wine, there's absolutely no right and wrong. That's just, I've just given you there a quick bit of technical advice, which is that um, it doesn't freeze in any way, and certainly a drop of water will bring down the alcohol, which means you could maybe drink it quicker. If we had any Japanese people in the audience here, of course, they drink primarily, they drink their whiskey 50-50. 50 water, 50 whiskey. It's not what we would be doing in this country, but of course you can drink copious amounts of it if you're breaking it down to 50% water. <laughs> so anyway, what you do though, what you do get here is you get a lovely sipping whiskey, you get a lovely long finish. Are, are all, the, all the malts that you put in from your own distillery? Yes, gentlemen's asked the question, does the malt come from our own distillery? Doing distillery in County Loud on the east coast of Ireland is quite unique. We have two stills. We have pot still there, and we have we make malt. We make our malted barley there. We actually, sorry, beg your pardon. We make our malt whiskey there, and we make our grain whiskey there. So we've two separate distilleries on site. So if any of you, um, if any of you ever want to come to County Loud, come to our distillery. The password is to get the VIP treatment. It's very, very straightforward. You just say, Michael sent you. <laughs> no, really? You just go, Michael sent you, and you get the VIP treatment. And you get shown around the two distilleries. And uh, Noel Sweeney, the master blender, would give you the tasting of everything that we have on site there. And it's absolutely well worth the visit. Right, right, halfway between, uh, halfway between um, Dundalk, uh, no, it's about five miles from Dundalk, halfway between Belfast and Dublin. If you, however, want something very, very pretty, go to the Kilbegan distillery, the oldest licensed distillery in the world. So Cooley over on the coast is the main production facility. But this beautiful old distillery where we're now making whiskey again at Kilbegan is in Westmead. It's about, on the motorway, it's probably about 50 minutes from Dublin. And it's absolutely magnificent, well worth the visit. Okay? So, any more... Any more comment on the blend? Am I right in thinking, though, that this, the Kilbegan blend is actually a product of both those distilleries? Yes. At the moment, very good question. Uh, it's nearly a gold star, but not quite. <laughs> um, the Kilbegan the distillery, at some point in the near future, most of the, in fact, all of the malt in this will be made at the Kilbegan distillery. Yeah. We're now into our fourth year of production there, after the, after the distillery was closed for over 50 years. So, um, but at the moment, you're right. It's a product of both. There's mm. only a small amount of the actual Quebecan distillery malt in this in this blend. Mm. So it is a mix of both the Cooley the, the Cooley product over in Westmead, and the or sorry in uh, Dundalk, and then the product actually in County Westmead and Quebecan. Mm. Do we what? In Ireland, all all um, all malted barley is owned by one company, which is. What's the most famous drink out of Ireland? Guinness. Guinness. And the company that owns Guinness is Diageo. And Diageo basically own all of the malted barley on the island of Ireland. So some of the, so the malted barley that we use to make, our, to make our whiskey has to come from Scotland. Has to come from Scotland. But of course, this is again a very good question because irrespective of where the ingredient comes from, for instance, the maize that we use to make this green ore, which is the gold medal, world's best single grain whiskey now a couple of years running out of the IWSC. That comes from the south of France. 
um, because the grain in Scotland and Ireland simply would not, you would not, or you'd find it very hard to make a whiskey of that caliber using that type of cereal. So it does matter where the cereal, where the cereal, the, the base cereal comes from, as long as it comes to Ireland, and then we use it at the distillery to make the whiskey, put it in a barrel, and as long as it stays in a barrel on the island of Ireland for three years, then you can call it Irish whiskey. If for whatever reason the liquid has been taken off the island of Ireland before three years, then you can call it whiskey, but you can't call it Irish whiskey. And the similar sort of, I'm sure you know, similar sort of rules apply here in Scotland, or yeah. in Scotland, it's exactly the same thing. It's very, very precious. The product must be on the island, must be in Scotland yeah. for three years before you can actually call it Scotch or Irish whiskey. What sort of volume Now, there's a question I wouldn't be able to give you the answer to, but I can come back to you on it. Okay. I, need, I need to get my uh, distiller on the phone here and he's in bed. <laughs> uh, I'll come back to you on that. I'm not, I'm not, it's a small facility, and, but I'm not, I'm, in terms of the actual quantity, I wouldn't be able to give you the answer on that. So there you go. So I'm, 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 I should get brownies for not uh, just coming off with a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, 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 I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Is there any more? Any more? <laughs> Any, any, any more questions on the uh, blend before we move to this wonderful green orc? Standard blended whiskey. Whiskey, as you know, blended whiskey has to be by law three years. And you get a lot of um, you get a lot of kind of fairly rough whiskey at three years. Once you get up into four or five years, you're really starting to get good maturation, good quality. So this second whiskey is an eight-year-old, which is quite old for for a uh, very, quite old actually for a, an Irish whiskey full stop because Irish whiskies tend to be quite a bit younger. Excuse me, I've already said this whiskey, I have World Whiskey Awards, this has won gold medals, best in class. This was the first time that an Irish single grain took the best in the world from Scotland single grains, Scottish single grains, American single grains. Two years running, this whiskey won gold medal at the IWSC, beat everything in its class. Jim Murray, who some of you might know in the Whiskey Bible said that this whiskey, the Green Ore, eight-year-old, proved that Cooley have the best grain distillery in the world. So back to the gentleman's question here about the two distilleries. So the grain distillery, he said this marked us out as having the best. We bring the, the, the it's called maize, and then you have a whole debate with Americans talking about corn, but of course it's quite, it's the same kind of cereal. But we use maize to make a small batch whiskey, 5,000 units at a time. And this really is starting actually in a, in a funny kind of way, this Green Norse uh, eight-year-old is starting to open huge amount of new markets for us, taking us totally by surprise, because we're now trying to... The thing about whiskey is once people start saying that nice things about your whiskey, if you don't have it all laid down in barrels ready to sell, you can't just go and produce some. You can't do that. So it's a, it's a tricky game. So this is taking us by surprise, because this is top, top quality, and it's... Uh, got a lot of interest in single grain whiskies. So on the nose, this what you're looking what you're looking for here is a very very delicate, light, very delicate, very floral whiskey. Very delicate. We bring, we bring all our maturation terms. We bring all our bourbon cask in from the Heaven Hill Whiskey Distillery in um, in Kentucky. They make, if you know the bourbon, Elijah Craig, they make Elijah Craig. So we use what's called their first fill barrels. So as you know, when you make, the barrels are, are extremely expensive when they're new and first filled. 
And then as you use them, it's a bit like making tea with a couple of, with the same tea bag, it gets less and less. So with some of, some of the blended whiskies, we would use the barrels two, three times. With this whiskey, of course, we use first fill only once. We then make blends with it a couple of times more, and then when those barrels are finished, we sell them to Scotland. And they, and they then do whatever they do with them. Okay? So, so on the nose, you've got the nice floral note. Now, now what we'll do is uh, taste the whiskey. Again, very delicate. This is not something that you're going to be putting water, ice, or anything else into. This is really, really meant to try and appreciate the lovely floral um, and fruity flavours of this whiskey. And, and like a whiskey taste, I'm uh, sorry, and like a wine tasting, this is the kind of whiskey that you can roll around in your mouth. Try and get a bit of air in there as well, because it's really, really there to be appreciated. A tiny drop of air will bring all the flavours of the whiskey out. And what you've got is you've got a nice, kind of almost chewy, um, beautiful, lightly fruited, light, lightly scented whiskey. Somebody unkindly said it's almost like whiskey for non-whiskey drinkers. Yeah. But I know what they're trying to say. You know, we've been at whiskey shows, we were talking there about whiskey live, and I probably say at whiskey live, maybe has happened 20 times where largely a woman has been with a man saying, oh no, no, I'm just looking after him, I'm not drinking, I don't drink whiskey. You don't drink whiskey? No, I don't drink whiskey at all, I'm just minding him. All right, we'll try that, just track one, track one, track one. Oh my God, oh my God, I didn't know whiskey kids play that. It's very, very, very different. <laughs> different style, different style, and, um, different style. and of course, the key, the key reason why that's very important that the single grain stands up to this type of examination is that it really tells you a lot about everything else that you're trying to do, because if you can make small batch grain whiskey like that, top, top, top quality, standing up and winning awards and gold medals, in international competitions, it means that the core ingredient that you're putting into general distillation is going to be top class. So you can assume that everything else is going to be very good. Because frankly, if, you, if a distillery is making single grade whiskey and it doesn't stand up to individual examination, then you have to worry about other products. So that's why most distilleries will not dare to try and produce a single grain because it's a real acid test of quality. Okay, so gentlemen, ladies, any, any, come on, let's go on to number two. I know number three, we're going to get a lot of feedback. This is dangerous. Why? Right, gentlemen, yeah, gentlemen here has asked a good question. Eight-year-old, why is it eight-year-old? First of all, as you know, once you start putting a, 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 the youngest whiskey in a bottle, whether it's Scotch, Irish or whatever it is, the law is that the, say for instance you have 2%, let's just say 2% of that whiskey was 8 year old, and 98% was 9 year old, you would have to call that an 8 year old. By law you must pick the youngest, for starters, um, the aged whiskey that's in, in, the, in the actual product in the bottle, you have to put that if you're going to put an age on it. And that's why, for instance, a lot of good quality whiskey will not have an age statement on it because an age statement is, can be very distracting from the quality, and you'll get people, whiskey snobs, and I know there are none of them in the room, I know that, I can, I can tell, I just have a feeling, that you know there's a lot of snobbery around it, that if there's not an age statement on it, then it's no good, and that's just not true, uh, because like top quality wines, a lot of, them, a lot of wines are avoiding the, the, or the, the, you know, the, the designations, 
that limit what you can do with the wine because um, effectively if you stay outside of that, you can actually produce very good stuff. Eight-year-old in that, good question is, that goes all the way up to an 18-year-old, which is absolutely fantastic, top of the tree, super premium. But at eight-year-old, our distiller, that's when the master distiller, coming out of the barrel, reckons that it's got enough character to stand up on its, on its own two feet. Prior to the eight-year-old, we tried the whiskey, it was actually too light, and the floral notes hadn't come through. But I'd hopefully you all agree that at eight years, suddenly you've got this lovely, relatively complex whiskey, which really stands up to uh, being sipped on its own. We've got Turconnell. Now, Turconnell is um, an Irish style single malt, okay? And there's also a very famous uh, story behind this whiskey. This Turconnell, uh, for the officiados in the room, that in Irish terms means tear is the word for land, land, tear O'Connell, so it's land of O'Connell. And it's named after the um, north part of Donegal, because this whiskey originally, this is the Babe Ruth whiskey as we call it, and this originally came from the Andrew Watt Distillery in Derry. The whiskey industry is just so fantastic. Quick, wee quick uh, story, we Irish bit of blarney here that's a, that is actually true. Um, I was at a whiskey show, a whiskey show in Ireland last year, and uh, all the people were coming up to the stand talking about Turcotl, and there was an elderly man came up, and he was chatting to me, and he said, oh no, I know Turcotl very well, you don't need to tell me about it. My father worked there, and this man was saying, I, I'm certainly late 70s, and I said, oh, did he really? And he said, oh yeah, he said, and Andrew Watt himself, he said, now this was a, this was an, a stat that people didn't know. He said, Andrew Watt was a great man for looking after the poor in Derry. And I said, that, that's correct. He said, but he used to live in Leather County and he used to come in to work every day in a, in a purple Rolls Royce. And that's true. And I said, my goodness, not everybody knows that. He said, oh yeah, my father used to tell me about it. And I said, well, that, that's an amazing slice of history to talk to someone whose father. He said, do you want to meet him? I said, do you want to meet too? And he said, do you want to meet my father? I'll go and get him. <laughs> and he went away and he came back. He, the 77, 8-year-old man came back with this other wee man who was in his 90s. And this gentleman had worked at the Andrew Watt distillery in Derry as a young fella. Knew that the Andrew Watt himself was sending me, oh, he was a great fella and he told me all about him. And he said, it's great. He'd love to have seen a young fella like yourself, which was a good thing to be saying. <laughs> Selling the whiskey here today all these years later. But the absolutely astonishing thing was that that gentleman and, and that man had actually worked at that distillery, and yet, if you go to Derry, if you ever get a chance to go to Derry, you walk down Distillery Street, right to the docks where the big ships used to pull up to take the, all the whiskey away to continental Europe and the States, and nine times out of ten, nine people out of ten would not know anything about the Turcotland distillery that was based there, the fact that that was the biggest selling um, exported brand in the entire British Isles, and yet, nine, nine out of ten people in the city don't know anything about it, which is such a shame. But anyway, I'm evangelical to get back and tell them all about it. So here we go. This is 100% um, malted barley. The big characteristic about this, for people who are not used to drinking um, malt, is that this is going to be sharper. This is a relatively young whiskey. It's kind of six, seven year old. Um, it's in an Irish sense, which means that the dry barley has been dried over hot air. So there's absolutely no drying over peat tires. So this is a fruity whiskey by its nature. There's absolutely no smoke involved. There's no peatiness, no smokiness. 
And some people obviously love peat, and we're going to get to a peat monster here in a minute. We're going to get to a um, much more subtle peaty whiskey. So this is this is a single malt that is all about the fruit. What you're looking characteristically here on the nose, you should almost be getting zesty, kind of zesty fruits, um, that type of thing. You, this whiskey, as it gets older, becomes much more luscious in its fruit profile, but younger it is... Um, it's very, very, very zesty and very light and fruity. Again, the bourbon characteristic, we use this American wood. So on the nose, you will again get a degree of sweetness. And that, that's a DNA that runs through all the food products. So if you try, if you try this our Irish whiskies again, say the Jamison Irish whiskies or the Bushmills Irish whiskies, a huge point of difference is the sweetness because we use constantly use top quality wood. They use different styles of wheat. I'm not saying they're good or worse or whatever, they just they're different. So consequently you don't get that sweetness, sweet characteristic. Um, the other thing is of course that we because we make the whiskey in very, very small batch and extra concentration, you get a lot more flavour. Because this is a single malt, what you should do is sip the whiskey first. You already sipped yours? And, and after you sip it once, then try it. This gentleman over here was saying about very valid stuff about putting a drop of water in and to open up the whiskies. And I could tell you if you've ever been to those whiskey shows, you, you see the true anoraks coming with their little thimblefuls of water because it can't be, you know, I had a genuine serious conversation with two people and one guy was saying, oh no, I'm a two drop man. And the other fellow was saying, he always goes that one drop too many. <laughs> and, and they're talking about water. They're talking, they're talking about drops of water. So uh, God forbid that we get the water wrong. But yes, so this whiskey is going to be very zesty, very fruity, but a drop of water, a drop of water in this whiskey will definitely open up an additional layer of flavour and will let you get at the lovely fruits much, much quicker, which we'll now all do, of course. And despite what you say, I shall use my pack. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> But, but for people who are not used to uh, single malts, it's going to be bigger flavour. It's just a bigger flavour. That's what you're looking for. So this is Lux, um, eight-year-old single malt. Now this is a very, very different style of whiskey. These, that whiskey that we just had, Jerome, is very contemporary. This is this is our distillers really looking at what contemporary taste profile of whiskies are and um, uh, what might appeal. This is relatively unapologetically a very, very, very old style of whiskey. The John Locke Distillery was what the original um, distillery in Kilbegan was called. This is a pure pot still whiskey. So this is very definitely something that if you were a marketing person, you would have a hard time. As you can see from our wondrous old style packaging, <laughs> this, this really is something that has been unchanged for quite a long time. If I, if I personally, and this, I was, you know, this is very much, very definitely, we've decided to taste this today as a, as a point of difference because whiskey shows generally you would never really see eight-year-old lux, so it's very, very, very rarefied. It's quite different, and it's because it's really old-style Irish single malt. It's pot still, so that means there's been no involvement with column stills. So this is obviously a very, very old way of making whiskey. And you'll see a very, it'd be very, very good actually in comparative terms if, if you haven't all 
you know, drank the uh, number um, number three. Yeah, sorry about that. Because, because here what you can do, it's a great comparison, even though it's a slightly unfair, because this is an eight-year-old, so clearly it's got a just, it's a, it's a bona fide eight-year-old, it's got some nine in it, so it's going to be a better bottle of whiskey, really, because it's, it's older, it's more mature. But it's really in terms of trying to um, compare the two styles. There's also... On the nose, uh, on the nose for the locks, if you just try that, there is a hint of something there that you don't get in the other whiskey. Is anybody picking it up? It's quite distinctive and quite different. On the nose. Pear drops. Second gold star of the evening. Oh. Are you a ringer? Have you done that before? <laughs> Well done. Well, you have a, a career. You have a career in the whiskey world because that was very well picked out. So yes, so pear, pear is a, a classic characteristic of old of old style Irish single malts, and that is definitely something that you can get on the nose. When you taste this whiskey, however, and what we should do here is try a wee sip. major piece of difference on this whiskey is there is slight amount of what in the malt? Sl slight amount of what? It's about 3%, I think. Anyone picking it up? Sorry, what'd you say? Got it. Man over here got it in one. My God, there's the, uh, the, the gold stars are flying over here. Um, absolutely, what you've got there on that is you've got a very slight peating, which is very different because clearly... In the modern style, you either have peat or you don't have peat. Whereas this was, is, comes from the days when a slight element of peating was always considered to be a good thing. Whereas modern day is, you really, you're one thing or the other. You're not, you, you can't, the kind of the, the view now is that you can't ride two horses in that race. You're either one thing or the other. And that's where most whiskeys sit. Whereas this is very, very, very unique. If you give this a marketing brief to someone, this would be quite, quite difficult to try and pin down and sell. But among whiskey aficionados, this would be regarded as something exceptionally good because what you do is you get, you get this wonderful malting, malted barley, but you also get a degree of smokiness, very small element. Do they, do they do part of the, um, when, when they um, kill off the, the germination, do they do part of it with hot air and then part with peat, or do they do whole casks one way or whole no no they do they do the whole cask the whole cask separately right. but then they do blend, the blend it which right. of course you can do it's yeah, still yeah. still single malt so no they what they do is they take a small smidgen of it if you can assume again that's a very uneconomic thing to try to do as well so it doesn't commercially if I had my commercial hat on it makes no sense to be trying to do that and keep the cost down but what you then get is you get a much, much more interesting, a much, a much, really a much more different style of whiskey, which is very, very different from everything else, for instance, that we sell. And you'll get no other um, single malt in Ireland that tastes like that as well. So it's very, very different and very unique. And the pot still comes shining through. Pot still whiskey's all. Sorry? I have to ask this. So is this... Are you saying that this is the very old style of single malt pot still Irish? Because my understanding of pot still Irish is that the mash bill is mixed and therefore can't be a single malt. So is this sort of predating the times when they were mixing the mash bill? Absolutely. This is an original recipe. Mm. So this goes right back to the time when, these, when the John Locks distillery... So the, basically our distillers are working with recipes that predate all the modern... You know, And I'm talking about the red breast, for instance, yeah. which is a... 
a classic um, style pot, traditional of, of, pot, of pot still, still yeah. and you can call it that and it goes on the label. We, for instance, would find, it would find difficulty if we just stand over putting that on pure pot still on the label because it all goes pre uh, what is now regarded as accepted practices. Yeah. So, so in that style, as I say, it's a it's a rare animal. It's a it's a very very um, it's a very very unusual thing to try and pin down in terms of classic style. But it, and it tastes actually quite different from mm. what what you would be used to from from Cooley. Mm. Yeah. Now, what you have here today is a brilliant example of Ireland's only heated single malt. Many of you probably know the Young Connemara, which is the flagship, really, of the Cooley Company. It's a six, seven-year-old. But what you've got here today is very unusual. This is um, a 12-year-old um, peated single malt. Now, if we had some Scottish people in the room, of course, we would all this would now where the ride would start. Because, of course, they would say that Irish whiskies are never made with peat and that they invented it and all that. Well, that's not true, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it isn't um, easy for me to say that in Hobbit Ireland is peat. The whole country is a bog. So if you think about it, effectively the peat was used originally to dry the barley. So these type of whiskies are going to be very characteristic of the way that Irish whiskey tasted 100 years ago. This is Ireland's only peated single malt. So the PPM in this, the, 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 the peat count, which means the element of the malted barley that has been dried over a peat fire, is about 20 odd, 20 and a bit. So it's actually quite lightly peated. So this is not a fair comparison. We're going to, when we get to the next whiskey, for the people who like your Lagavulins and all the Highland mad peat, what we brought this mad boy here. <laughs> we, brought, we, brought, we brought this fella's big bad brother to, to, to talk about that. But this is much more about, if you know like Isle, like light Isle style, lightly peated Isle whiskies, well this is much more. And, and frankly this is the first time in the room that if you know your good scotch, this is the first whiskey that it's an apple-apple comparison. The reason being, it's double distilled, okay, so it's twice distilled, like scotch. They use, we obviously use, we already know, top quality wood, as the top scotch companies do. Um, the big, big difference, of course, is things like the water. Now, this is a 12-year-old, so that's, again, a good comparison with top quality Island Scotch. The big difference, though, is in, in Scotland, as you know, the heather comes into play in a big way with the water running through um, the heather fiends. And what you also get in, in Scotland as a result of the water is you get, like, a medicinal characteristic of their whiskey, which some people absolutely love. Well, you don't get that with, a, with the, our whiskey because... To be fair, the major difference is the water. The water's softer. There's no heather anywhere in Ireland where we make the whiskey. Okay? So what you get is, that's this, although this is apples and apples comparison, it's just going to be, particularly as a 12-year-old, where the smokiness has converted into fruit, you're going to get a very sophisticated and very, very lightly smoked fruity whiskey again. But this is the first time in the tasting today that we have a direct comparison with good scotch. Okay, so without further ado, we'll uh, we'll all have a wee sip of that. It's gorgeous. I always like it when out of right field I can hear words like gorgeous, and that's uh, that, that's always very good. But you can feel you can feel in your mouth 
that it's very, 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 very smooth. The smoke's not overpowering, but yet you could you could probably you could probably use that as being a scotch if you like your. What we've got here, however, for the very first time, really, is a high heated. So the PPM count here is going to be over 55. The alcohol, you have to remember here, the alcohol, because my Scottish friend with the um, with the kilt's not here, 58.2. So I'll tell you that up front. So this is this is a cask whiskey. It's highly alcoholic, of course. So, so really, once you get a sip of the whiskey, you're going to have to get some water in there to break it down. But the smoke, the PPM counts 55. So this compares with hop, scotch, highland, very, very heavily peated. The other thing of note here, this is quite an aggressively young whiskey. So it's like, you might be surprised to know this is a five, five stroke six year old. So this is something that we've got great hopes for. And um, quick, quick uh, quiz, turf more. Anybody in the room, what does that, that's an Irish feeling. Turf Moor, what does that mean? Black. <laughs> what? Nearly? <laughs> Turf Moor, big, big peat, big peat, big peat. So nearly, nearly a gold star, not quite. Um, yes, yeah, so really what you've got here is, you've got this wonderful cask whiskey, straight out of the cask yet, look at the colour, no additive. You've got this wonderful smoky nose. And can I also say a genuine point? Because this is a whiskey that we're this is a whiskey that we're going to be putting a lot of effort into. I would genuinely be asking for uh, comment and feedback on this because we we have a great great um, great feedback and feeling so far that this could be something that we would be putting into great distribution, um, great production. Um, we think it's a real winner. Having said all that, as a commercial guy, I would be given any feedback when we get here back to the back to Kui, uh, a yes then. Generally, yeah. But as you can see, more of that. Yeah. More. We do need to be sure, don't we? That's that was the at the London Whiskey Show last week where let's face it, most of the people are going to that show to try Scottish heavily tasted malts really at the whiskey show. That, that was probably the star of the show. So I'm so pleased that it's uh, similarly here in uh, Derbyshire as well. It's great, great news for us. Listen, without uh, without me boring or or endlessly rabbiting on about um, Irish whiskey, could I, could I, I'm aware that food's coming at half nine, so could I um, thank everybody for your attention, and um, we're here, I'm here to answer any questions, I'll, I've got my solicitor with me there, <laughs> uh, in case I get any awkward uh, questions over here, but listen, thank you very much for your attention, it's been really, really great, it's great for us to support our customers, they're doing a wonderful job for us. If we had more customers like this back in Ireland, they'll tell you we would uh, we'd be very very happy campers, and it's because of consumers like yourselves. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks.
thank you for a fantastic night. Oh, no, would you enjoy that? Oh, yeah, I mean, but you must be bored with this, senseless with this kind of stuff, I'm sure. No, not at all. No, oh, not at all. How can you ever get bored with stuff like this? Good. One thing I will pick you up on, you were at Whiskey Live in London. I was. Yeah, I saw you down there. Yep. We, you came to our stand. I didn't come to your stand. Did you not? No. Why did you not do that? Right, see, that, that's the question. Why didn't I? And the honest answer to that is I tried on more than one occasion to get to your stand, but every time I got down to that area, it was so busy, I actually couldn't get through. That's a good thing. And that says something, doesn't yep. it? it the, really the, does. the feedback from the people that were at the show was fabulous, I have to say, and it's been building every year. Yeah. Um, last last year, year before, that's my personally, I've been involved for four years. And it really is um, eye-opening to me, just the level of interest. And particularly because you're talking to people who know their stuff, by and large. Um, they're very open-minded about Irish whiskey nowadays. They're interested in the different types and styles of whiskies that we sell. And by and large, we get a brilliant response. So it couldn't be happier. However, I am going to go to Whiskey Live Dublin. Yep. I hope to be seeing you there. I'll be there. I will find it through the crowd to yeah. get to you No, no, point. you'll, you'll uh, as, as an Englishman in Ireland, you'll get preferential treatment <laughs> we need as many visitors as possible at yeah, the moment absolutely listen you, one thing you talked about tonight was the pot still yep. locks old fashioned recipe yep, yep. is there any chance that cooties are going to bring out what people more understand as being a pot still this the mixed mash bill type of whiskey or we, well we we have um, an experimental team at the moment um, uh, Noel Sweeney and the distillers are looking at experimental batch whiskies Um, and I'm not privy at the moment to exactly what's going to come out of that process Um, so we are working on a number of things to see what we have obviously a very very diverse range of products Um, we make I suppose some excellent quality whiskies that are underpinned by gold medal standards and award winning and that, that type of thing but we're looking for the next generation mm. so I would say watch the space although in, when you come to Ireland Noel uh, Sweeney will actually be there and he p- perhaps will be able to give you some right. uh, detailed information about the direction that we're going in yeah that sounds good yeah. okay now delicate subject you warned us about not mentioning this but the Irish economy at the moment yeah We've got a funny thing going on here. The Irish economy's been in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Irish whiskey, however, seems yeah. to be really strong. Absolutely. And, and I think back in Ireland, um, small independent company, um, of course, uh, the Cooney Distillery, bucking the trend, hugely uh, winning awards internationally everywhere. A classic example outside of the banking, banking sector of um, Irish companies abroad doing well and bringing a lot of um, good reputation to the country. We're all very proud of that. We're all very proud of the fact that that we're bucking the obvious trend that's going on at the moment. Um, um, And we're delighted with that. But I think we're more typical of entrepreneurially what's been going on in Ireland. But we certainly, I think, in John Teeling's company, would be a very good example of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. One more question. I might not even... I might cut this bit out. But one more question, because it's a bit of a geeky question. Right. To Connell... Yep. Land of the O'Connell. Yeah, Tier, Tier, yep. Yeah. Donegal area. Yeah. But you also do a whiskey called yep. Inishowen. Yeah. Which is the same sort of area. Different part of Donegal. But it's a different part of Donegal. Yeah. Explain. Yeah, well, any, any, Tier, Tier Connell is an ancient, um, really, relatively from the Andrew Watt Distillery um, brand name. It's a real brand name, it's a real thing. It was an original brand, and it's named after that part of the north part of Donegal in the far west. 
on the other side of Donegal actually is the Enishawn Peninsula yeah. and it's a place apart it's, it's, as I said it's on the other extreme it's on the east side of the, the country it's actually north of the north of Ireland yeah. it's, it's, it's quite unique in its geography and um, that whiskey was named after in a more in a, since Cooley's in its inception that has been a new brand and uh, as I say they're two very very distinctly different yeah. things and that's an area in Ireland that in many ways I think could be compared to the Glenlivet area it's an oh, area yeah. that was very well known for illicit distillation and was high quality high quality illicit distillation yeah. is right and yes that would be very fair you'll get no argument from me yeah. on that okay thank you ever so much thank it's been you a brilliant evening thank you very much thank-